It's a little different. (laughs) Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Would you pray with me? Father, I am so grateful for your word, and I am so grateful uh, for this church. And God, as we um, begin closing uh, our part of the story, where we are the same characters on the page. And Lord, as our paths start to split, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we are one. That we are one in spirit. That we are one in our Father who is in all and through all and above all. So God, I pray that you would bless this morning as we talk just a little bit about your story. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds to hear your word. Lord, that you would help us to faithfully attend to it. That we would not be as the man who looks in the mirror and walks away doing nothing. But Lord, that we would gaze into your word, see the truth, and walk away changed for it. So God, we love you so much, and I just pray that you would help us. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I figured probably the best way to do a last talk is to start with a story because that's what I do you guys all know that and I thought that the best way to start the story would be to tell probably the oldest story I know it is the story about a young man who was uh, born kind of on accident he wasn't really meant for this world he was just just kind of happened upon it. Born into a family that, at the time, I don't think was totally sure that they wanted to have children. And was raised, along with uh, a couple other siblings, in that. This young man, he, um, <clears throat> he grew up knowing that he was always a little bit different than the people around him. 
and knowing that he was profoundly different than the people around him a lot. Um, this young man uh, oftentimes found his identity in a broken model car where the instructions were not followed and the pieces were all glued wrong and there was no hope. And this young boy, he grew up into an adolescent. And time and time again, his awkward way of speaking, his awkward way of behaving, of laughing at things that no one else was laughing at, continued until the point where he knew that he truly was a mistake. And he said, I'm going to fix that mistake. And he resolved in his mind. See, I'm not a very good storyteller, so you know that that young man is me. But that was the story that I've been telling myself since uh, I existed. Since I could possibly tell myself a story, I've been telling myself that I wasn't here for a reason, that I wasn't here on purpose, and that I wasn't here to be useful for anything. And that's been kind of my story. It's been a story, I'll say, for this point. And it makes me think that maybe there are other people here who are telling themselves stories. You know, we all have a narrative. Maybe someone here is telling them this whole story about their career and how if they could just figure out how to get a little bit more successful, get a little bit more cash flow, get a little bit more equity, get a little bit more capital, get a little bit more achievement, just maybe just the next thing, and it's going to be a happy ending story. Or maybe you're telling yourself a story that if I could just get that other person to love me, if I could just be smart enough, strong enough, pretty enough, funny enough, if I could just be something to earn their love, then my story would be a happy ending. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're telling yourself, the same story I said. That maybe you were or were not an accident, but you're telling yourself that there really isn't much purpose to you. There's not much reason for your existence, you might say. Sure, you get through and you get by. You stay busy. But when you don't stay busy and you look into the big why, all you see is nothing. And so your story's full of clutter. Maybe it's full of building things or unbuilding things or cleaning things or chasing things. But deep, deep down, you know that there's a sense of emptiness, a sense of nothing. Well, I want to tell you today that uh, hopefully the answer that we're going to look at is the answer to the question, why church? Because this has honestly been a struggle for me. Um, you guys all know that um, I'm not exactly a churchy type person, which is really weird <laughs> that I'm standing right here. I'm sitting right here. Like, I'm wearing these clothes right now because I know that I should, <laughs> not because I necessarily want to. Like, if it were up to me, I'd be wearing shorts and a black T-shirt. That'd be it. But I know that I should because, you know, you go to church and you dress up. You guys know that I'm not really necessarily a church-type person. And so when um, this thing started happening in my life where we were being pulled somewhere else, um, honestly, I went through a time 
where I strongly and sincerely doubted whether I would continue on in a church. Because see, here I am in a church full of people that I love, people that I respect, people that I admire. And it's not over yet. There's, it's not a happy ending. The, the curtain hasn't rolled. You know, the, the fanfare hasn't started. We, we, we aren't there. And, and, and there's this sense inside of me, Roy, would you mind turning me down just a little bit? I'm just like booming. Does anybody else feel like that? Okay, no. Okay, well, maybe it's just me. It's fine. It doesn't really matter what I think, honestly. Um, there you go. Thanks. <laughs> um, I, I just thought, we're, we're here in this idyllic church. Like, a lot of people think I'm just blowing smoke when, when I say that it's breaking my heart to be leaving the best church in Wyoming. But it's the absolute truth. And so, so when we were looking at it and we were looking at, mm, are we going to go and do another, another church? Are we going to rebuild relationships with people and, and reconnect to say goodbye again? Because, you know, inevitably there's always a goodbye. And I just didn't know if I had it in me. And then on the other hand, you know, we were really under the gun here. We were doing tons of work, and it was resulting in good things, but I was going through a season of burnout. And it was just like, ah, the harder and harder I try to help people see God's love, the more rebellious it seems my heart gets and the more rebellious their heart seems to get. And it just made me think, ah, church again? Why church? Why church? And so I've kind of been on this journey of asking that question, why church? And the answer to that, I think, is the answer to our stories. Because I think that the reason and the answer to the question, why church, is because God wants to tell a better story. So in order to explain this, we're going to have to look at least at, at, first at a couple of biblical concepts, and then we're going to look at a biblical passage. And so there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. If you want to hop around with me, I'll kind of give you an idea where I'm at. Um, but if I'm going to read it, I'll read it out loud. It's not going to be on the screen, so you might want to grab a Bible. Um, because the beginning of our story actually starts in the beginning, which kind of makes sense, right? <laughs> it's good to start at the beginning. Um, and it's the story of the beginning of all things. And the interesting thing is, and the reason I'm saying the word story so much, is because the very first action in what we know as the universe, time-space, the very first action is a word. God begins to tell a story. And it starts with light. And he says, let there be light. This is in Genesis chapter 1, in case you want to peruse this while I'm talking about it. He, he's telling this thing where he's like, light, and then light exists. And he's like, also darkness, and then darkness exists. Because before, it wasn't like it was just all dark. There was no darkness yet. There was just no nothing. So God creates this fabric of reality. He creates light, and then he creates darkness. Then he creates the, the, the earth, and then he creates the water. Then he creates the things to walk along it. And then he gets to us. And he's like, I'm going to make this story really interesting now. Let us make man in our image. Male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them. So he makes us 
unique from the rest of everything else. He sets the stage, and then in the middle of it, he sets this weird creature that honestly is probably holding too much inside of it to make sense for the rest of creation. It is too duplicitous. It is too complex. But I don't know if you guys are fans of literature or story. Those are my favorite characters. And in us, he creates this thing. He imbues within us this created simple vessel made from dust. And he breathes his life into us. And we become this thing that is at times greater than us. We become the image of God. We become the likeness of God. And we get a garden. We get a setting. We get a place to go. We get a place to, uh, to do things. And God gives us some parameters. We all know that every good story has some rules to follow. Usually they're set by an antagonist. But every good story has some rules to follow. And so God creates some rules for Adam and Eve. And he says, you can do anything you want except for these few things. Because if you do these few things, you will die. And so we choose those things. <laughs> you know, I don't know, if we were reading a book, and we, for the first time we heard this story, and it wasn't just like in our heads, and we knew that it wasn't Adam and Eve, and we are just reading a different story with different character names, this is the point of the book where we would be like, no, come on, you idiot, what are you doing? You could do anything you want, and this, this is one thing that you're not supposed to do, and we chose that. And I chose that, and I choose that, and I continue to choose that. See, God puts his image within us, and he gives us this thing called choice. And he says, don't do this. And we say, "Mm, nope, I'm going to do it. And the question is, why did we do it? Because someone else was telling us a different story. Satan came along, and he was like, hey, by the way, which is the biggest lie in the entire world because we already were like him. We were made in his likeness for Pete's sake. But Satan says, he's afraid of what you will become. And so after that, we're like, yeah, we're going to go our own way. We're going to do our own thing. And then death enters the world. And it's this villain. It's this thing that touches everything that we experience I I would sincerely say, if you know someone that has gone through any life-threatening illness or has been afflicted upon by any person who's decided to do selfish things to hurt people, then you have experienced this villain. You've experienced this thing called death that Satan showed us. He said, he just kind of opened the door and we walked right through. We all kind of know what that's like. And in fact, for those of us that are telling, us, telling ourselves these other stories, in a lot of ways we're buying into this lie that is as old as possible, that you can go your own way, that God is not to be trusted, that he tells us one thing and does another. But I tell you, we still, it still results in death. God wasn't wrong. He wasn't lying. And so there's this story that's told at the beginning. Originally it was very good, and then we listened to another one, and we kept listening to another one, and our children kept listening to another one. 
until we got to the point where there was an entire world filled with people that did not know God. I'm skipping some things. For you historians, I'm skipping some things. I need you to know that I know that I'm skipping it. It's okay. We got to the point where there was an entire world that didn't know God except for one small group. And they were so messed up, they were buying into the lie that they kind of created their own rules around how to behave. They weren't necessarily trusting God. They knew he existed. They were trusting in their own sense of, well, we're going to build a fence around the tree, and we're going to make sure that we put guard dogs around that fence so we definitely don't ever go into this garden place. And they were kind of missing the point. And so then, when things I don't think could get darker, when God's people, this small group, we call them Israel, were kind of on the brink of being wiped out. They were occupied. They weren't long for this world. They were not well liked by the empire that was overseeing them. They were thought of as troublemakers. And we'll find out sooner rather than later, about 70 years after Jesus' story, they actually do kind of get wiped out at the very cusp of destruction. God himself comes back in a very, very powerful way, in a different way than he did before. And he comes back, and he comes back in the shape and the size and the sound of a Middle Eastern rabbi named Jesus, who was born in a very low position to a blue-collar dad and a young mom. He came, and he came in the lowest possible way, And God shows up as this man. And he teaches. And he shares things. And he says, you think it was this way, but now it's this way. And he shares all these things. And these are really, really good teachings. And it's kind of like, sort of, it feels like maybe it's reversing the story just a little bit. But really, if we just had his teachings, we would just have another fence to build. We would just have another set of rules to follow. We would have just another set of things to do to earn our way back into the garden. We wouldn't be trusting God necessarily. We would just be following orders again. So then he does something and he accomplishes something that is so tremendous It's cataclysmic and it's cosmic. It's something that is not local. It's not a regional thing. It's not the kind of thing that you just hear a local siren and you say, oh, that's happening in Lingle. Like at 12.04 every day here in Lingle. It is not 12 o'clock. Okay? I just want you to know it's at 12.04. What Jesus did and what God did in that moment in our story is he took the table and he flipped it over. He took the pages out of the story that we've been writing, and he went back to the very first story that was told. And he said, this, right here, you're made in the image of God, and I can help you get there. That is what he did. And it's not just about us. It's not just about us here in this room. It's not just about us sitting in rooms like this. 
It's about everything that exists. And this brings us to Ephesians chapter 4. To probably one of the most perplexing verses that I have ever come across, but has been incredibly helpful for me. And so today, I'm going to tell you, this is like draft point five on this talk, because there's no way that I got this right so quickly. Okay, because this is a huge question. So I want you to bear with me as we kind of free associate our way through this thing. I've got a way, but um, yeah, you guys are basically the practice crowd, so... That's good. I don't think there ever won't be, but um, in verse 9 of chapter 4, actually let's start in verse 8, the Apostle Paul describes this thing that Jesus did in very uh, large terms, in very vague terms, honestly. It says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, he starts by using a very familiar thing to the people that are listening. He's actually quoting Psalm 68. It's a, it's, a, it's a familiar psalm to the people that are listening, and it's about this king that delivers Jerusalem, and it takes the captives back, and everything's okay again. And it's all about Jerusalem, and it's about the Jews, it's about Israel. And he says, this is kind of like what it is, but it's more than that. And so then he uses this thing, and I don't know if your translation in front of you has parentheses, I think parentheses are basically an interpreter's uh, version of, we did our best. So sorry, this is hard. Because there are no parentheses in the original language, but it's this idea that we need, to, we need to focus in on. And so hopefully you can track with me on this. Because he says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? So he, he, sa- he says that, yeah, he ascended, but it's more than that. He also descended. He came down to earth. He came down to earth and he experienced the depth of our darkness. There is no depth within us that, that Christ did not plumb. There is no secret hidden within us that Christ is going to say one day, oh, really? Oh, I can't forgive that. Sorry. <laughs> There is no depth within us that he did not experience. I mean, can you imagine leaving the very soul and heart of God and coming down into a turn of the millennial earth? It was a rough place. It's still a rough place. And it says that he descended into the lower regions, the earth. And then he says, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens. So you remember at the end of Jesus' story here on earth, to this point, when he was done with his disciples, when he, was, he had died and he was resurrected, he went around teaching for another couple days, and then there was this thing where he stood on this place called the Mount of Olives. And he's talking to his, his disciples, and he's, he leaves them some words, and then he like in an elevator I, I imagine it's an elevator. You guys probably like imagine something more spiritual than that. But I just imagine that Jesus is like, uh, go baptize, I'm with you always. Bye. Bing! It's going to take a while. Boop. 
I don't know. That's my imagination. I just gave you guys a little window into my imagination. Can you imagine living there? Okay? I'm just saying. But he's saying that, that Jesus did this thing, that he ascended, and that what we saw, the bottom half of it, was actually not even the beginning of it. It wasn't even, even getting too close to the actuality of what he was doing. Because, yeah, he ascended into the heavens. He left our eyesight. He will come again. That's part of our story, but it's more than that. It says, so that he might fill all things. Uh, The best estimate right now is that the universe is about 13 billion light years wide. That's the observable universe, the one we can see. And the idea of a light year is that it's the distance that it would take light to travel in a year. So if if the speed of light was a person and started running... One light year, <laughs> that'd be kind of cool. Uh, one light year would be the, the, the distance that person covered in one year of, of running flat out at the speed of light. And then they say that it's 13 billion light years wide. Creation is incredibly massive. And I don't think Paul had any idea what he was fully understanding when he said that Christ was going to fill all things. But Christ is going to all of every little part of everything that exists. And he's retaking it. He's saying that this thing that started, this villain that took over back in the day when you rebelled, I'm killing it. And I'm winning. And so the question then is why the church? Because that's why Jesus, which is like a really good answer to have. Why Jesus? Because he's winning, all right? Go with Jesus. It's a good, good thing. But then the question is, why the church? And for that, I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 3, actually, verse 10. It's in the middle of this thing that, he's, that, that Paul is laying out. He's talking about the church and why it's such a beautiful thing. And then he says, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Wait, okay, hang on. I gotta read that again. Why the church? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's a tremendous thing. Because what he's saying is, is that he's using the church. Okay, this, this cosmic entity that we, that we know as God, though that's the best word we can come up with him, and, and we met him in Jesus, and, and that's this massive, expansive thing that we met as a person. He's doing this thing, and he's using what? The church. Like this church? Yes. He's using the church to make known the wisdom of God to, it says, the principalities, or excuse me, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. From the top down, the church is a declaration that God is reclaiming it. That we can look at this broken world and we can look at the darkness and instead of looking at it and saying, man, I don't know what's going to happen. Shucks, I don't know. 
It's kind of scary. We proclaim a better story. We tell the ends of the earth that God uses broken stories to tell a better story. Sorry, it just got really meta just now. But that's our story. That's our better story. That's the one that we tell. That's the one that we proclaim. We proclaim Jesus is conquering everything, that Jesus has defeated death, and that he offers it to humanity free of charge. And the spooky, strange, weird thing that he's done that I'm just now beginning to understand, maybe, is that he's using people like you and like me to do it. He's using people like us to do it. See, Jesus was even modeling this when he was a rabbi. He would walk up to people in the middle of their job. They're doing their thing. And he walks up to them and he says, Hey, you, follow me. He calls them out. Can you imagine? I don't know. I mean... You know, I've got friends that are bankers. I've got friends that are ranchers. I've got friends that are lawyers. I've got friends that are bartenders. Can you imagine if you're in the middle of doing your job and Jesus walks up to you and he says, hey, follow me. It's like, hang on, God. I'm kind of arm deep in something right now. It's calving season. (laughs) Hey! A joke you can only tell in Wyoming. (laughs) But can you imagine that? Can you imagine that in the middle of what you were doing, Jesus calls you out and he says, hey, you, follow me. See, he invites us in the middle of who we are to be a part of what he's doing. He calls us out. There was a a tax collector that was in the middle of collecting taxes and Jesus says, hey, you follow me. And it says that he picked up, he, he dropped everything he was doing and he followed him. And then there was another guy, one of my favorites, who was fishing. He was a fisherman. And it wasn't like kind of fishing. It was like, whoosh, throw a net. Catch a whole bunch of fish so you can sell it. Um, he was in the middle of fishing, and he wasn't having a lot of luck. And Jesus is like, hey, by the way, you are good at your job, but do it a different way. And the guy's like, okay, whatever. This guy knows what he's doing. They throw the net, and then they almost sink the boat because of how much fish that they caught. And it's like, wow, this carpenter kind of knows what he's doing. And so then afterwards, this person understands who Jesus is, and he says, get away from me, I'm a sinner. (laughs) He understands who this cosmic person is, who God himself, standing in front of him in the middle of a fishing boat while he's got scales on his hands. He understands himself, and he understands him who's standing in front of him, and he says, get away from me, I'm a sinner. But that's the kind of person that Jesus says, hey, you follow me. He called them out. And he's calling us out. He's calling you out. Because here's the interesting thing. There's a word that's not often used in the Bible. It's called the church. Oddly enough, uh, we, don't, you, we, don't, we don't use it very much. And actually, a Christian, if you're looking for the word Christian, you won't find it in the Bible. It didn't exist at that point. It was a nickname we got later. But the word church is interesting to me. Because it is used a few times. And what the, the word is, it's, it's, it's this word from a different language, and it's called ecclesia. Okay? 
ecclesia. That's the word for church in the original language. And it's actually the combination of two words. Uh, out, ek, kaleo, to call. We are the called out ones. The church, in her original name, were people who were getting called out. They were in the middle of what they were doing, and someone said, Hey, you, come be a part of my story. Come and tell a better story. And so there's a, there's a word here in Ephesians 4 that I want to leave with you, and I promise that this is nearly done. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he, he says something that is so interesting to me, and I'm going to read it uh, a little bit different from maybe what you're reading in front of you, but I, I want to tell you that it's a little bit more accurate to the original language. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you all to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you all have been called. See, you just see a little word you there. And the interesting thing about English is that you can mean plural or singular. Like, I could be like, hey, you, Robert Randolph. And then I could be like, hey, you, Randolph family, you know, or hey, you, the church. And you understand. Now, there are some parts of our country that got it right, and they have a word that is y'all, all all right? (laughs) Okay, so I just want to say that is correct. I don't care what your grammarians tell you. When you want to be more specific about who the you is you're talking to, say y'all. All right, so he uses this word, and he says, I, therefore, prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you all to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called. At some point, each of us has been visited by Jesus, and he has said, come out, tell a better story. When he came to me and he told me a better story, he said, You do not have to end your life. You are not a mistake. You are here on purpose. And the reason you are here is to proclaim how good God is, even when you feel so low. And he said, don't die, live for me. And then he picked me to stand in front of people and tell them things and hope that they would listen, which is scary for someone like me. And then he brought me to one of the most loving, caring, kind groups of people I've ever met. He brought me here three years ago. And I am so grateful that he did that. That he allowed me to try to tell a better story. And part of that better story, and definitely a a really good part of this story so far, If I had chapter headings in my life, it would be North Hills. Because this has been, I think, one of the best examples of people who are walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have been called. Now we're wrapping up, and I just want to briefly describe what this is. He says, it's all humility. It's all gentleness. It's patient. It bears with one another another in love. 
every opportunity to maintain unity, this is the way that you can walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling. This is how you can be healthy. And he says a lot of things. And I want to encourage you guys this week, sit down with Ephesians chapter 4 and tear it apart and say, how can I make my church like this church? Because he, he describes some really tremendous things. And then finally he says in verse 16, He's talking about Christ, and he says, From whom the whole body, when it's joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. North Hills, I want to tell you about yourself. You are a loving church. You are a kind church, full of humble people that seek unity. And that is a message to the darkness in our world. I I don't want you to miss that. That your unity is a message to the darkness in Goshen County. So I want to encourage you as best I can, as maybe a, a servant of the Lord. I'm not a prisoner, but I try to serve. I want to encourage you, please do walk according to the call that you have been called with because we are to tell a better story and I really, really think from the bottom of my heart somewhere down here I guess that North Hills can tell that better story that you can be a part in the redemption that Christ is doing in all things so I want to encourage you North Hills that um, even though the chapters move and pages turn, and characters come in, and characters go. That this is your church. This is not my church, and this is not David's church. It wasn't Pastor Brad's church. It's not even Pastor Dick's church. He would tell you that. He'd be first to tell you that. This is our church. This is your church. And as we go forward, I want to encourage you as a part of the whole, do your part. Build up one another in love so that we can be part of that message proclaiming that Christ wins, that Jesus wins. So we're going to sing a song. Uh, it's, it's kind of an older song, um, and it's simple, and it reminds me of uh, John chapter 13 where Jesus says, and they will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. And I want to encourage you to walk according to the call that you have received, to be the church that God made you to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love, and thank you uh, that you're here. I just pray that you would help us uh, to love you, help us to seek you. Lord, help us to tell the story of your people. Lord, help us to proclaim your goodness. Lord, thank you uh, that you're here with us. We love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we'll pray that all 
restored.